Today, uh, I'd like to give a talk on another topic that I feel is very relevant for everyone, uh, and it's on patience, as uh, the Venerable said. Um, and um, this is a very common emotion that we all feel. Um, how many people here uh, would say that they struggle with patience themselves? If so, raise your hand. Yeah, it's okay to be honest, you know. Uh, we're here to, you know, uh, help you and provide uh, some insight on some of the emotions uh, that you feel uh, and how to better deal with them. So, <clears throat> when we talk about the Buddhist teachings and the Buddhist philosophy, um, we want to try to integrate the teachings into our daily lives. Um, many people will find the Buddhist philosophy very deep and profound. Um, and when they listen to the teachings, um, it can provide them with uh, very uplifting emotions. Um, but if you're not able to translate those teachings into your own personal life, uh, into uh, the way you go about living your life, and into your interactions uh, with your friends and families, uh, then uh, you're not getting really uh, the benefits from the teachings. All of us have negative emotions that we deal with. Uh, and the Buddha told us that all of us have this mental sickness. And we have to take the medicine of the Dharma to recover from this sickness. But a lot of times when we receive the medication, we don't take the medicine. Uh, when we just delve into the profound teachings without applying it, it's very much just like reading a medicine bottle, reading the prescription, but not actually taking the medicine. And so we have to learn how to apply these teachings, take that medicine, so that we can recover from the mental illnesses that we deal with. So one of the very common emotions that we deal with uh, are impatience. Now, in Buddhism, um, there is a lot of mention in the sutras on this topic of patience. For Mahayana practitioners, the basis for our practice is what we call the six paramitas. And the six paramitas are generosity, discipline, patience, diligence, concentration, and wisdom. So all Mahayana practitioners use these six factors as a support for their practice. And the level of difficulty of practicing each factor increases uh, as you go further on. So the easiest uh, factor to practice is generosity. Um, when uh, we have 
wealth, um, we don't mind uh, helping others in need. Uh, it doesn't take uh, too much um, compassion and um, positive emotions, sympathy, pity, for you to want to give back to other people. Um, and some people also know that uh, the more they give, the more they receive. Um, so this idea of giving is not something that they find very challenging for themselves. And what about discipline? Discipline is the next step. It's a little bit more difficult than generosity, but most people know the repercussions of committing bad deeds. They know that it leads to negative karmic retributions. And so they don't commit them. They don't commit these unwholesome deeds. They refrain from doing that. And by doing that, then they can practice this uh, paramita of discipline. Then the next step is patience. Now patience is much more difficult to practice compared to generosity and discipline. Um, because a lot of times when we interact with people, um, we may experience suffering when they criticize us, uh, when they try to hurt us, when they do harm uh, unto us. And so all of us, we're looking for happiness and we're looking to stay away from suffering. So when other people are trying to inflict harm upon us, we find that very difficult to accept. We find that very difficult to forgive. And so we have a problem with not being able uh, to uh, practice endurance, forbearance, uh, understanding others, uh, learning to forgive others. So in patience, really what we have to understand is when we attach to notions of happiness and suffering, uh, then that gives rise to this pendulum swinging back and forth of different emotions that we feel. So the reason why we get hurt when other people criticize us or harm us is because we have this strong attachment to the self. And I talked about that last time when I spoke about fear. Now, really all the emotions that we feel, all the negative emotions come as a result of this strong attachment to the self. We have an image in our minds of who we are and uh, what we want to be. So when someone attempts to uh, put that image at risk of being diminished, then our walls go up and we go into defensive mode. And we snap back at that person or we might uh, say other hurtful things to that person uh, because we feel that we were hurt. And so the first thing that we have to be aware of is that 
we're attaching to the self. And we're attaching to the self um, because all the suffering that we believe uh, we're receiving from that person is hurting this ego. And really, when we look at it, all people are trying to look for happiness. And they're trying to stay away from suffering. But it's this strong attachment to wanting happiness and staying away from suffering. That's what really leads to the suffering that we feel. Um, so when, when someone criticizes us, um, a lot of times we fail to understand that there may be many reasons for that person inflicting harm upon us. Um, that that person's suffering is also because of his lack of understanding. Uh, all of us suffer because we have this delusion. Uh, we don't see things for what they really are. And so when someone is criticizing us, when someone is uh, hurting us, we fail to see that they might be doing that because of their misunderstanding of the suffering that they themselves feel within. And so, if we want to exercise patience, we have to first understand, put, our, put ourselves in the other person's shoes and understand that the reason why they're this way is because they themselves have a lot of suffering that they're not able to deal with. In the Mahayana tradition, uh, we have uh, a number of uh, commentaries written by uh, wise monks, uh, great sages, uh, on the practice of the Buddha's teachings. In uh, one of the commentaries called The Great Treatise on the Stages of the Path to Enlightenment, which was written by a Tibetan monk, uh, by the name of uh, John Kappa, he talked about patience, uh, this third paramita of patience. And he divided patience into three categories. The first category of patience deals with um, receiving criticism and harm from others. Uh, the second uh, refers to the patience that you have to deal with uh, in dealing with difficult external circumstances. Uh, and the third is the patience involved along the path to enlightenment. So if we talk about that first category first of receiving harm from others, Really, when someone is criticizing us or um, committing some sort of harm against us, it's really not that person that we should treat as our enemy. Because that person is being motivated by his own hatred 
and aversion within. So really, that hatred should be the true enemy and not that person. And when we react to that person with hatred, then what we're doing is we're really just letting that enemy win. Um, we're responding to hatred with hatred. And that uh, would never uh, lead to any sort of happiness for either party. Now, the Buddha spent 500 lifetimes practicing patience. Uh, if you've read in the Diamond Sutra, uh, in section 14, um, the Buddha had spent 500 lifetimes before he became a Buddha practicing endurance. And in one of his lifetimes, uh, he was an ascetic practicing in the mountains. And at that time, uh, there was a king by the name of uh, King Kalinga. And he and his concubines were uh, traveling up to the mountains uh, to go hunting. Uh, King Kalinga was a very avid hunter. He would go hunting every weekend with his concubines. Um, his concubines would never join him in the hunting. They would go off into the mountains to play. Um, so this time, the concubines found their way into the cave where uh, Prince Siddhartha in his previous incarnation as an ascetic was practicing. And so when the king was finished with his hunting, he went to look for his concubines. And he found his way into that cave. And he saw the concubines circling around this ascetic and touching him in ways that seemed uh, were very inappropriate. Uh, and this ascetic, he was seated in silent meditation. He was very still. Um, and the concubines were very curious. And they started asking him about his practice. And when the king saw this, that they were touching him and asking him questions, he was overcome with a lot of jealousy. And when he heard uh, what they were saying, that this ascetic was practicing the way, he went up to them and said, what way are you practicing? Don't be cheating my woman. I want to know what way you're referring to. And then the ascetic told him that the way that he was practicing was patience, that no matter what anyone did to him, if they beat him, if they cursed him, if they criticized him, if they abused him, he would not have any anger in him. And so this king, he didn't believe him. And he said, okay, if you say that you won't get angry at anything anyone does to you, then prove it. And so he took out a sword and he mutilated his hands. And then he asked the ascetic, are you angry now? And then the ascetic said, no, I'm not angry. 
Still, the king did not believe him. And so he drew out a sword again, and he cut off his two legs. And then he asked him, you must be angry now. But then the ascetic responded, no, I still do not have any anger within me. And then the king said, I don't believe you. You say that you don't have any anger, but I know you must be feeling anger within you. And then the ascetic told him that if I do feel anger within me, then I will prove that if I have any anger, my legs and my hands will not grow back. But if I, I don't have any anger within me, then they will grow back. And moments later, the hands and the legs of the ascetic did in fact grow back. And it was because of that purity of heart. He didn't harbor any aversion towards that other person um, that caused his spiritual transformation. And so afterwards, the devas and all the dharma protecting spirits, they knew what had just happened. And they were very furious and unhappy with the conduct of this king. And so they um, showered these hailstones uh, to try to punish the king. And at that point, when the king saw this, and he saw this spiritual transformation of the ascetic, he bowed down on his knees and he repented. He begged for his forgiveness. And then at that point, Siddhartha told him that um, if in a future life I become a Buddha, you will be the first sentient being that I save. Because Siddhartha had made a vow in his previous life as he was practicing patience that in the future when he became a Buddha, he would first save all the sentient beings that abused him, that caused him harm. That was the extent of his compassion. He would not harbor any aversion or hatred toward anyone, even his enemies. And so, in his future life, when he was born as Siddhartha, this king ended up being his first disciple after he became enlightened. And this king, who became that disciple, was the first to receive the teachings after the Buddha's enlightenment. And he was also the first disciple after the Buddha to achieve enlightenment. So we can see the extent of compassion and what it can do to transform other people. Um, reacting to hatred with hatred never solves the problem. Um, we have to learn how to accept and embrace the suffering that we feel and transform that into something positive. In the Buddha's teachings, 
the Buddha taught about how to develop patience. And one of the examples that he gave was, imagine that you have a fistful of salt in your hands. And you put that fistful of salt into a small bowl of water. And you stir it with your fingers. He asked his students, do you think that water is drinkable? And then his disciples replied, no, that water is far too salty. No one can drink that water. And then the Buddha went on to say, well, imagine that you put that fistful of salt into a large river. Do you think that the people living along the river would still be able to drink that water if you put a fistful of salt into it? And then the disciples responded, yes. Putting just a fistful of salt into a large river will not make it salty. So people can still drink from it. It can still provide them with nourishment. The same goes for all the criticism and abuse that you receive. If your heart is small, if you don't have that breadth, then what anyone says to you, one complaint, you know, one comment of criticism will really hurt you. It's just like putting that salt into a small bowl of water because you don't have the capacity to receive it and to embrace it and to transform it. Just one little comment of criticism can make you lose sleep for a few nights or can lead you to lose your appetite. But if we can learn how to increase the capacity of our hearts like to the size of a great river, then no matter what anyone puts into it, whatever bad thing that they say to you, whatever criticism you receive, you can absorb it, you can receive it, embrace it, and transform it. It's just like the earth. The earth receives whatever you give it. You can dump waste, you can dump excrement, you can dump toxic material into the earth, but the earth embraces it, it receives it. So, if we want to be able to have more patience, we have to learn how to increase the capacity of our hearts. Now, <clears throat> there was a modern day example of this that just happened a few years ago that I found very touching. Um, in 2012, uh, in Florida, there was a case where a 13-year-old girl was shot in a school bus. Uh, what had happened was the boy who had shot her 
he was also about 13 years old, he had brought his stepfather's gun to school. And he was playing with a gun on the school bus. And he thought it was empty, and so he, he fired a few shots on the ground and nothing happened. And then afterwards, he pointed it to this girl, and he pulled the trigger, and it ended up killing her. And obviously this was unintentional, but he was still charged with manslaughter. And the mother of this 13-year-old girl, she was just a single mother. She had been divorced, and this was the only girl she had. So you can just imagine the, the grief and the unhappiness she felt, um, and the hatred and aversion she felt towards the person who had taken her daughter's life. And so two years later, um, when they went to trial for the first time, uh, the mother did something that was completely unfathomable. No one thought she would ever do this. When the 13-year-old boy came into the courtroom, she went up to him, and instead of um, saying anything um, hurtful or blaming him for anything, she went up to him and she hugged him. She embraced him in her arms. Everyone was completely shocked. They were stunned. How could this woman go up to the killer who had taken his daughter's life and embraced him? It was because this woman had such a big heart. She knew that that boy had not done it on purpose. Even though he shouldn't have done that and he shouldn't have brought the gun to school, he knew, she knew that everyone deserved a second chance. She had that capacity in her heart to forgive. And she knew that for such a young boy, he still had a lot going for him in the future. That his life was just starting. And it would be very miserable and unfortunate for him uh, to be affected his entire life because of this. The boy himself felt incredible guilt for doing something like this. And so, later on in the trial, that mother, she requested that the boy get a lighter sentence. And what happened was the boy, he ended up going to a juvenile um, facility for a few years. He came out and he was able to start a new life. And that mother, after this case was over and he served his sentence, she actually contacted him in the future. And she traveled with him all over the US to talk about gun control and ways that we can prevent this thing from happening again. So we can see that this woman, she felt a lot of suffering 
when this event happened, but she had that capacity in her heart to forgive because she knew that that person, that boy who took her life, he, he did it because of a lack of understanding. He was young, he was immature. And so she had it in him to forgive him. So if we can see such a person doing something like this, accepting and learning to embrace even the person who killed her daughter, what does a negative comment that you receive from someone, um, criticism that you get from your boss, um, or having kids that don't listen to you. Um, when you tell them to do things, they, uh, they you know, one, it goes in one year, it goes out the other. What is that relative to what this woman did? And so, this really puts into perspective how having a great heart, having a big heart, can help you overcome some of the great sufferings that you feel in your life. Now, another type of patience that the Buddha spoke about was um, learning how to endear difficult conditions, external conditions. Now, in the practice of Buddhism, we learn to not get affected by the external circumstances that we face, because all of that is outside of our control. What's within our control is how we view it, what kind of attitude we have towards it. If you've read the book In Search of um, Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Um, you would have learned that during World War II in the concentration camps, the Jewish refugees were put through some terrible atrocities. And they were put under circumstances that we simply cannot fathom. The torture, the beatings. But how did some of them come out of it without being hurt physically and psychologically? Viktor Frankl, he said, you can take everything away from a man, but there's one thing that you can't take away the last freedom, and that is to choose how he will respond to the situation. To choose his attitude in any given set of circumstances. There were people in that concentration camp who did not give themselves up to despair. And the physical suffering they received from the people who tortured them. 
these were the people who would walk around the huts caring for other people, caring for all the sick people, and giving them their last piece of bread. And it was that compassion, that understanding that they had, despite the circumstances, that pulled them through it. And when they came out of that concentration camp alive, they weren't affected psychologically like a lot of the other people who had resolved themselves to frustration and despair. So, when I was uh, training for a triathlon, before I became a monk, uh, I was um, an avid triathlete. And I learned that one of the most important um, qualities that a triathlete needs to have to be successful is he has to learn how to be comfortable with discomfort. Because in any endurance race, putting through your body through a kind of, that kind of stress will lead to a lot of discomfort. And so, what separates the world-class endurance athletes with the regular athletes is the extent to which they can learn how to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, with the discomfort that they feel. And so that's really the same in our life, in our practice. Um, we have to learn how to manage discomfort. We have to learn how to be at peace with it. When we feel uncomfortable, when we have feelings of pain or discomfort, we recognize it. We be mindful of it. We place our bare attention on it for what it is, but we don't attach to it. In many ways, this attachment to suffering happens because we're also attached to happiness. Because happiness and suffering, they're really two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. Just like you can't have an up without a down, a left without a right, birth without a death. But all of these are just notions. These are notions that we fabricated in our minds. And the whole point of the Buddhist teachings is to help us transcend these notions, to be beyond these notions, these pairs of opposites, happiness, unhappiness. Uh, Ajahn Chah, he gave a great example of this. He said that happiness and suffering are like the front and tail end of a snake. Suffering is 
the mouth of the snake. If you hold on to the mouth of the snake, the snake will bite. But at the same time, if you hold on to the tail of the snake, which you refer to as happiness, the snake will turn around and bite you as well. When we become attached to happiness, we become afraid of losing it. And when we lose it, it causes us a lot of suffering. So really, if we want to overcome suffering, we have to overcome our attachment to both happiness and suffering. And this whole practice of patience, that begins with learning how to increase the size of our hearts. Learning how to render compassion and understanding towards others. Knowing that the harm that other people are causing us, it's because they themselves are suffering. And we should feel compassionate for the suffering that they feel within and for the future consequences of their actions. We should feel sympathetic to that instead of reacting to it with hatred and aversion. If someone criticizes you, either they're right or they're wrong. If they're right, then why should you be angry at them? They're just pointing out your faults. If anything, you should thank them. The greatest teachers are those that point out your hidden faults. And if the criticism is not true, then it's because of their ignorance. And if you get angry at their ignorance, then you're just like them. You yourself are ignorant. So, we have to learn how to approach patience from the perspective of increasing the size of our hearts and combining that with the power of understanding. And when we can begin to do that, then that's when we can really learn how to integrate those teachings into our life.